0: I don't know about you, but I find stuff like that absolutely fascinating. Those optical illusions where you look at something and you are absolutely certain about what you're seeing. I mean, there is no doubt in your mind, and the video plays on that certainty. About halfway through, you saw that statement where it said, these two squares are the exact same shade. And I'm not sure what you were thinking, but when I first saw that, I thought, no, they're not. I thought, I'm looking right at it. It is obvious that that they are two different shades. And then they did that Jedi voodoo mind trick kind of thing, whatever it was, where they took the shade or they took the square and they moved it. And you are like, well, well, maybe it is the same shade. And then they moved it back and thought, well, maybe it's not. And back and forth and back and forth. And maybe my mind's just too simple. I was absolutely, utterly confused. And at the end, the only thing I knew for certain was that there is so much more here than meets the eye. And that's the name of the series we're beginning today. We're beginning a series called More Than Meets the Eye. And the basic idea is that we're going to take a look over the next couple weeks at some really intriguing encounters Jesus had with people when he walked the earth. Encounters, and if you're familiar with the Gospels, you probably like these stories. Encounters in which Jesus would be asked a question, or he would be presented with a circumstance and as the reader and even as the person on the scene then, your immediate thought was, well, I know exactly where he's going to go with this question. I know exactly what Jesus is going to do in this circumstance. Or sometimes you thought, wow, how's he going to get out of this? I mean, they've kind of backed him into a corner. What is he going to do? And Jesus, if you know the stories, he had this amazing uncanny ability to help us see past the surface to change our perspective, to see beyond the immediate, and move us to the real heart of the issue. Jesus had a way of asking us questions that we've maybe never considered before and to take us places that maybe we've been afraid to go. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that in each of these encounters, Jesus brought to light either a new truth or he's shown a light kind of afresh on an old truth. And in each of these encounters, the people are faced with a choice. They can either embrace what Jesus said, they can accept it, they can let their lives be changed by by it, they can embrace it, or they can dismiss it. They can ignore it. They can just keep walking in the darkness. And what happens to each of the people in the stories that we'll look at is something that happens in our lives too. Because you see, every so often, because God loves you, and because God loves me, he uses the people in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, to bring a timely truth front and center. God knows what you need to hear, what you need to be reminded of, and when that needs to happen. It's something about him. Maybe it's a truth about yourself. Maybe it's something about your relationships, but something important. And in light of that truth, much like the people in these stories, we too are left with a defining moment, a a, a time where we can make a decision. We can either embrace what God is showing us. We can run with it, a truth that would cause us to think differently. Maybe it's a truth that would cause us to live differently. In fact, it might cause us to make some changes that aren't always easy. I mean, God's best for you often involves change, doesn't it? I mean, that's what growth is. That's that's where maturity takes place. You don't mature without change. Or we can choose to ignore this truth and keep going down the path that we've been headed. Because quite honestly, the dark is more comfortable because it just hides a lot of stuff. Doesn't it? And the story we're going to look at today is for me at least, one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. If you grew up in church, you know this story. You could come up and tell the story. It's that familiar. In fact, it's in the children's Bible that we read to our boys at night. But it's a story for me that I've never spoken on. And what drew me to this story was, of course, it's incredibly fascinating. There are some twists and turns that you don't expect. But what drew me to the story more than anything is how Jesus responds to what seems like the obvious felt need in the story. And of course, he doesn't respond like you would expect him to. Instead, as we go through the story, you'll see he leverages this amazing moment to show people that when we bring him our our pain, when we bring him our hurts and our struggles, that often there's so much more going on than what meets the eye. It's a great story. If you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, we 're going to be in the Gospel of Marks, about two thirds of the way through your Bible, chapter two, Gospel of Mark chapter two um, you 're going to want to follow along if you don 't have a Bible and no Bible up don 't worry we 'll put the verses up on the screen for you as you 're turning there, just to set up our story here 's kind of the background. We are very early in the ministry of Jesus. Definitely no more than a year in, probably just six months or less, Jesus has been baptized. He's traveled around. He's done some teachings. And maybe more importantly for his popularity, he's also done some miracles. And word is spreading very quickly about Jesus. It's it's the rock star kind of phase of his ministry. Everybody wants to find out about this new guy. What's going on? He's healing people. We've heard these stories. We want to find out more. And as this story takes place, Jesus is Of taking a break. He's taking a rest. He's gone back to his adopted hometown of Capernaum. He's in someone's house, and while he's there, they ask him to teach, and he begins to do a little bit of teaching. And pretty soon the house with just a full people is just standing room only. And then there's this large crowd that forms outside the house. And that's what's going on when our story begins. It's in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It begins this way: it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, The news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, here's where it picks up, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they did what you would have done. They dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, Right down in front of Jesus, real quick, close your Bibles, don't look any further. Because you got to pause here, and you've got to grasp exactly what is happening. Because listen, it is as crazy or crazier than it sounds. This paralyzed guy, we don't even know his name. If you got a name, name him whatever you want. But the paralyzed guy, okay, he's in Capernaum, which is a very small town. Some recent archaeological stuff, found the town. Maybe two, 300 people lived in this town. Really small town the paralyzed guy is just lying in his house. And he hears all this news outside, outside of his house, but he can't get up and check and see what's going on. He just hears all of this action, all of these people walking maybe. He's not sure what's going on. And pretty soon, his four best friends come rushing through the door all out of breath. And they look at the guy and say, come on, we gotta go. It's like, I can't go anywhere. He's like, well, we'll take you, we'll take you. Jesus is here. Jesus, yeah, I've, I've heard about Jesus. Well, why would we go? He said, because he's the healer. He can heal you. And the guy, I think, says something to his friends. Text doesn't tell us. But I think he says something to his friends that all of us have thought at one time or another. I think he looks at his friends and says, you know, I've been praying about this for a long time. I've been paralyzed for a long time. Certainly, if God wanted to heal me, he already would have done it. There's no reason to pray any longer. There's no reason to hope any longer because this is obviously not part of God's plan to heal me. I think those are are the thoughts that went through his head. Have you ever been there before? you ever prayed about something so long and you were certain, I just don't think God's going to answer it. Maybe it's time to stop. This guy probably dealt with those thoughts. His friends prevailed upon him and they said, No, no, we'll we'll just pick you up and, and and we'll take you. So they he I guess agreed, how could he fight him? I'm not sure. They each grab a corner of the mat. And they make their way out of the house. And this large crowd had gone by, so the road is dusty, it's dirty. There's maybe a dusty fog in the air. And they're taking him down the road. They're coughing. They're, they go down the road. They turn a corner. And they can see the house in the distance. But they can't see much of it because there's such a large crowd outside. And they finally make their way. They get to the house. They get to the house. And, you, and you're hoping, or they are, for some kind of Red Sea moment where the crowd would just part. These, these are all his friends. His friends. This is his hometown. You'd think the friends would move. Oh, this is great. Jesus can do one of those miracle things. Boom, we'll all move. But nobody moves. Nobody makes a way for the paralyzed man to go see Jesus. The friends try to push through, but nothing's happening. So they go, I think, and and they place their friend down, and they're dejected. They're disappointed, and they're confused. Finally, one of the guys grabs one of his friends and says, Come here. I think we can make this work. Here's what I think we'll do. I think we can get him and, oh, I'm so excited. And he points to the roof. Like, what? what? I said, yeah. Other two friends walk over and say, what are you guys talking about? Said, I'm not really sure, but let him explain. He said, I know how we can get him to Jesus. Okay, how? I said, well, I'm thinking we, we each grab a corner and just climb up the house and get on the roof. Okay? And then what? I'm thinking we dig a hole. I'm thinking we dig a hole in the roof and just drop him right in. Like, you've lost your mind, right? I mean, this is absolutely crazy. They go back and forth. They go back and forth. And it had to be a fun conversation. And finally, I think there's this pause. And they're quiet. And they look over. And they see their paralyzed friend, who's been paralyzed for who knows how long. And they look at him. And I think tears begin to well up in their eyes. And maybe they begin to roll down their cheeks. And suddenly, each one of those four guys is filled with determination. I'm going to do, we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. We just got to get him to Jesus. They're going to do it. Who's going to tell the paralyzed guy? Go over and they say, listen, um, he wants to tell you something. Okay, Here's what we're going to do. We can't get in the front door. We've got another plan. We're just going to shimmy our way up the house. We'll all grab a corner of the mat. The guy's scared to death. I'm already paralyzed. You guys are going to kill me. You know, I'm going to take you up there. Okay, then what are we going to do? Dude, we're digging a hole and dropping you in. It's going to be a great plan. I don't know if the guy ever agreed. I don't know how he could fight it. But the story is really only getting started. They get up on the roof. And by now, Jesus is inside this house teaching, right? He's inside the house teaching, and they've everybody has heard all this commotion. The people outside thought they were coming for the great teaching. They've seen a show they never thought that they were going to see, right? So the word, it's, it's like the telephone game. The word is slowly spread inside the house, and who knows what everybody has kind of heard, but they all know something is going on, and, and the word is kind of spreading, and Jesus is still teaching. God bless him. He's still teaching. He's going on. He's doing that. But then they start to hear this scratching on the roof. And by now, the sermon is just over. I mean, everybody is looking up, and the roof is made of dry leaves and mud, and they can hear where Jesus was teaching, so they're aiming for a spot to drop him right in front of Jesus, and everybody kind of looks up, and suddenly, some leaves fall, some mud fall. It's in Jesus' hair, his clothes, those unlucky people in the front row. It's just an absolute mess, and pfft, getting out of his mouth. And then, a little bit of light shines in. And everybody is just looking up. And there's there's, there's more digging. And finally, there's a good hole. And Jesus is looking up. And these friends are looking down, kind of waving, doing their thing. And it's big enough. And they look over. And they go, it's big enough. Let's do it. And they all grab a corner of the mat. Everybody's watching. They grab a corner of the mat. And they've never done this before. Right? I don't know what kind of pulley system they had, but they slowly start to lower their friend, and he teeters, and he totters, we're going to lose him. And, they go back, and finally they steady it, and the poor friend. He's on the mat, and at first all he can see are, are his friends who are above him. That's all he can see. And he gets a little lower, and he gets a little lower, and he gets a little lower, and finally now he's face to face. He's eye to eye with Jesus. What's going to happen next? I think the room is absolutely quiet. Everybody wants to know, how is Jesus going to respond to this man? I mean, the poor owner of the house, right? I mean, he's off in the corner thinking, what have you guys done? Right? I mean, all this stuff is going on, but the room is quiet. And you know what I think Jesus did? I think he laughs. Because unless you are the poor owner of the house, This is just hilarious. I mean, this is just funny stuff, right? I mean, the guys dug a hole in the roof. Don't miss that. Shimmied their friend up, dug a hole in the roof, and lowered this guy right in front of Jesus. And and it's obvious to everybody in the room why they did this, right? I mean, there's no doubt in, in anybody's mind why they went to all this trouble. They are not here for the sermon, are they? There's only one reason they did this, and it's obvious to everybody why they did it. This guy, everybody knows what his biggest need is. He's paralyzed. Everybody knows what is going on. Everybody knows why they did this. And Jesus, in only a way Jesus could, is about to take this moment when everybody knows what the most pressing need in this man's life is. And Jesus is going to leverage this moment To show everybody that there's so much more here than meets the eye. That in the midst of what you think is your most pressing need, that what you spend most of your time worrying about and praying about is not the most pressing need you face. Look at what happens next, down in verse 5. Mark 2, down in verse 5, says this It says, Seeing their faith. Now, this is not a trick question. Out loud, somebody. Who is the there he is referring to? Who is it? Friends, right? Right? I mean, the four friends. Jesus looks up at these friends, okay? Looks up, and he sees these friends who have gone to all this trouble. I mean, how much they must love their friend to risk their own life to do all this. He sees their faith. This this is just great stuff. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's just great. Um, thank you? I mean, sins are forgiven. You're, you're not going to start naming my sins, are you? I mean, hold on. Time out, Jesus. You might be the only guy in the room who doesn't understand, but <laughs> that's not why I'm here. That's not why my friends did this stuff. I've got a much bigger problem, Jesus. I mean, friends are up on the roof and they're thinking, what did he say? Um, he said his sins are forgiven. No, 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 no. We want you to heal him. That's what we want. And and it seems almost insensitive on Jesus' part, doesn't it? I mean, I've seen your faith. I've seen the faith of your friends and all the trouble they've gone to and how much they love you, how much they care about you. And, oh, buddy, I've got good news for you today. Your sins are forgiven. That's a big letdown, pun intended, isn't it? And the guy's already had one letdown, and now he's in for another. It's a groaner. I mean, the text doesn't tell us, but, but that's got to be what the guy is thinking, Right? I mean, the audience was so excited because some of these people, they didn't come for the teaching. I mean, they had heard the stories. He's, he's raising people up. They're walking. The blind are seeing. This is incredible. And then one guy brought a friend, right? And, I oh, man, I told you we were going to see something cool. Guy's making a sunroof in his house and lowering a pair. This is going to be great. I mean, you're going to be telling this story forever, right? I mean, everybody is expecting Jesus to meet the obvious need. And he says, your sins are forgiven. People are disappointed. That's not what the man came for. And and, and just so you see it, because we haven't met them yet, but off in the shadows, in the corner of the room, there's another group of people who are there this day. They're the religious leaders. And as soon as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, these guys perked up. These guys were listening closely now, and they were incredulous because you can't say that. Jesus. I mean, maybe if he stole your wallet, or maybe if he lied to you, you could forgive him. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying all his sins are forgiven. You can't say that. Who do you think you are? God? Here's how it went down. Mark 2, 6 to 7. Reads this way. It says, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, you should never do that around Jesus. Never ends well. They thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. See, here's what they're thinking. They're thinking, hold on, Jesus. You can't announce that his sins are forgiven. I mean, Jesus, maybe you don't understand how this works, but getting your sins forgiven is a very complicated and expensive process. First of all, Jesus, here's here's what what you got to do. you got to go buy a sheep, a spotless sheep, And if you can't afford that, you can buy a pigeon. But listen, if you buy a pigeon, everybody's going to know one or two things. You're either dirt poor or you're looking for some cheap grace. Either way, it's not good. And then when you've got your spotless sheep, pigeon, whatever it is, then you've got to go to the temple. And for those who live far away, that's an added expense of time and money. And then you've got to be ceremonially clean. There's a whole kind of process involved with that. And then once you get to the temple, you've got to wait in line. And it's probably going to be a long wait. And then once you get up there, the priest is going to take the sacrifice you brought. He's going to slaughter it right in front of you. It's going to be messy. You're going to get a little on you. And after all of that, Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. But don't get too excited. It's only temporary. Because you're going to sin again. You see... Jesus, forgiveness is a complicated, expensive, involved process, and we are the ones, the only ones, who have been chosen by God to dispense forgiveness. In fact, the mere fact that people sin, that's job security for us. Okay, Jesus? This is how forgiveness works. You can't walk around just forgiving people that you don't know anything about. I mean, come on, who do you think you are, Jesus? You can't do that. So just picture Look around the room in the story. You've got one group of people, most of the people there, who are upset because Jesus hasn't done a miracle. They've heard the stories. They were there for the show. So they're disappointed. Then you've got the poor paralyzed guy who's lying there and saying, hey, guys, you're going to have to hoist me back up. I didn't get healed. I got my sins forgiven. Right? That's not why he came. So he's upset. And then you got the religious leaders who are angry because Jesus claimed something only God could do. And the tension in the room is thick. And Jesus has everybody's attention. So look at what takes place next. Verses 8 and 9 says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? which had to be pretty awkward, right? I mean, Jesus didn't even give them a chance to voice their questions. All those things that were going through their minds, they never said those things to Jesus. He didn't even give them a chance. But this is so good. Watch this. Jesus is saying, I know what you're thinking. I know your thoughts before you even know your thoughts, and and, and you ain't seen nothing yet. And this next part is so good. Here's what Jesus says, and it's a little bit of a brain teaser or whatever. He says, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Basically, Jesus is saying this. You see, guys, I am not so out of touch with reality. I know exactly why this guy is here today. I know why his friends brought him here and all the trouble they went to. I know why they literally drug him up the house, made a hole in the roof, and lowered him down. I know what this guy's most pressing need is. I know why he's here. I know what he's hoping for more than anything today. I know that he would have been happy, ecstatic, crazy out of his mind if I would have healed him. I know that's all he came for. I know he didn't come for the message. I know that. And I also know everybody in the room is disappointed that I chose to forgive him instead of heal him. Except for you guys, you guys think I'm a heretic and a blasphemer, you guys got your own issues. But nobody here, is celebrating the fact that forgiveness has been freely given in your presence today. Nobody's celebrating that. But here's the point Jesus is saying. I also know that his most pressing need to be healed is not his primary need. I also know that what seems urgent for him to be able to walk is not what is most important. I also know that what he wants more than anything is not what he needs most of all. And I have chosen to address his most important need, his deepest need. Nobody cares. Now, I can relate to this. And I'm guessing maybe you can too because ever since I can remember, I was kind of just born with this just kind of innate priority list or agenda in my life, things that were most important to me. And as I thought about and putting this together, I narrowed them down to about four. And maybe you can relate to these. You know what I, th- what, what I want more than anything else? The number one priority in my life is this. Number one is health. I want to live a long, 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 long time, and I want everything to work the whole time right? I mean, you want, you want that too, right? I mean, and then I'm thinking when I'm 90, what I would like to do, I would like to go to bed one night feeling great, wake up, I'm in heaven, think this is better than I ever dreamed. This is just great. In fact, you've kind of probably, probably thought this way before. God, I'll make you a deal. You can shave two or three years off my life if I can skip the debilitating disease nursing home part. You can, I'll check out at 85 if, if I can skip all, all that kind of stuff. Number one thing I want more than anything is health, Number two thing I want, and maybe this is true for you, prosperity. I'm not afraid to say it. I want a lot, a lot, a lot of money and a lot of stuff. Because, listen, I'm just thinking this way. I'm thinking in life, if I've got my health and I've got prosperity, then, man, the options are just wide open, right? They just are. Third thing I want, maybe you too, companionship. Nobody wants to be alone. I mean, you want a great, great relationship, don't you? And I'm thinking I'm thinking if I've got number 1 health and number 2 prosperity I mean the options with the companionship stuff they're they're great right And the fourth thing I want the fourth thing I want I'm not really sure how to word it but the fourth thing I want is is fame in, in other words it's not critical I mean it, it's definitely number 4 on the list but I'm thinking I'd like to do something that outlasts me I I would like to do something that is bigger than me, and I wouldn't mind if I get a little recognition for it, if people kind of, you know, know who I am. Those are four kind of basic things that are on my agenda list. I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, think about whatever you've been praying about. Think about whatever you've been praying for weeks or months or years. Isn't it somewhere on that list? Isn't it up there? Those things where yesterday, this morning, maybe during the message, dear God, fill in the blank. It's probably, it's probably somewhere on that list. And what happens is when those things are in order, when those things are in order and all is well, we think God is good and he loves me. But when something is missing, when something's just not right, when something's in danger, we question and we doubt his love and concern for us. Don't we? Do you know what never, what never shows up on probably any of our lists, doesn't show up on mine? Forgiveness. I mean, it doesn't even make the list, does it? I mean, I want to be healthy. I want some more stuff. I want her to say yes. Forgiveness? I mean, you didn't wake up this morning, come on. You didn't wake up this morning and think, oh, God, I just need some forgiveness today. Oh, just give me some forgiveness. doesn't even make the list. And, and listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, let's be honest, just just you and me, you're not even sure you need this, right? I mean, sin? Sin, sin is such a churchy word. You're not even sure you've sinned, right? I mean, you think, okay, I've made some mistakes. I mean, back in college, there was that thing, I mean, everybody experiments in college. Come on. I mean, you know, but I'm a good person. Sin, forgiveness. I'm a good person. I mean, for instance, Thursday night, I was at Kroger. I was there. I didn't even want any Girl Scout cookies. I didn't even want any at all, but I walked out, and there was that little cute little Girl Scout with her mom, and they were shivering in the cold, and I didn't want any Girl Scout, but I'm, I'm a good person. So I bought two, I bought four boxes of Girl Scout cookies, so I'm a good person. I mean, I've eaten them all by now. I mean, it's it take two or three days, and they're all gone, but I'm a good person. Forgiveness? I don't need that. See, forgiveness doesn't even show up on our lists. We don't, we don't feel that need. We're not up all night thinking about forgiveness because we don't feel it. It's not urgent. And that's Jesus' point in this story. Listen, I'm not speaking from my strength on this. If you're there, I'm right there with you. Forgiveness isn't really high on any of our lists. And you know why? Here's why I think why. I think because we don't see ourselves and our lives the way God sees us. I mean, I know it's true for me. I can get so easily blinded by the temporary and the urgent and the immediate that I lose all eternal perspective. But, you know, when you just catch a glimpse of your life from God's perspective. Suddenly, forgiveness doesn't just appear on the list, but it inches its way to the top. And when it makes it to the top of your agenda, your priority list, it's not that you're any less concerned about those other things. Don't don't hear that. It's just that now there's a perspective. And everything is in its proper place. And, And you know what happens? It's so beautiful. When forgiveness, that relationship with God makes it in first place, it allows you to have peace in the midst of uncertainty. Because the one thing that matters, a loving relationship eternal with your Heavenly Father is etched in stone. It is written in blood. It is taken care of. It is finished. And there's peace. The story's about to wrap up, and it's beautiful. And it's so rich. It's so full of meaning. You're, you're going to love how it wraps up. Look down at verse 9 again. We'll kind of recap that. Go 9 to 12. Here's, here's, here, here's how it finishes. It says, Jesus said, Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And, and this, this is key. It's why we're going to revisit that verse. Because here's what people are thinking. They hear that and they're thinking, Well, it's certainly easier to say, Your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that because we don't know if they are. I mean, give me a shot. Your sins are forgiven. Mark wants a shot. Your sins are forgiven. Joe, your sins are forgiven, right? I mean, nobody knows if it's really happened. But if you say pick up your mat and walk, the guy better get up, pick up his mat, and walk out the door, right? I mean, there's some evidence if that happened. But, Jesus, we need to know, do you have the authority, do you have the power to actually forgive sins? Jesus said, I'm glad you thought that. Listen to what I say next. So, I will prove to you the Son of Man has the authority, key word, that's in verse 10, underline, highlight, circle, whatever you do, authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, this is so important because, again, anybody can say that you're forgiven. But Jesus, Jesus, how do we know? How do we know that you have the power and the authority to remove the consequences of our sin? which is death and eternal separation from God, because that's what we really care about. We really care about, are you going to take away the consequences of the sins that I've done? How do we know that you've got the power to do that? And Jesus says, let me show you. I will take away one of the consequences of sin, sickness. I'll take away this man's inability to walk, and I'll prove to you that I'm not just saying you are forgiven, but that I am forgiving you. Here's how it finishes. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and just walked out the door through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed. They praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And I think, I think, while everybody was jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, high-fiving, chest-bumping, whatever they were doing 2,000 years ago, however that worked, you know what I think happened? I think Jesus got up and walked over and sat under a tree and just shook his head in disappointment because they were still celebrating the temporary and they didn't even catch the eternal. You see, I think Jesus would tell us this morning that I know you walked in those doors carrying a mat. I know you walked in those doors carrying a load of hurt and confusion and disappointment, and I will help you with that. I care about your problems, but don't miss it. I care so much more about you. You are bigger than your problems. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the takeaway is not that all the issues that you pray about and are concerned about, like your health and your job and companionship, it's the takeaway is not that those aren't important. Not at all. Don't hear that. The takeaway this morning is that the most important need of my entire existence being able to have an eternal, forever relationship, starting now with my heavenly Father who made me, is available through Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls me to look at all those other things through the lens of forgiveness. And that in the midst of the uncertainty you face, and we've all got it, in the midst of your uncertainty of your life, because of all those other issues that are on that list, you can have peace Because, you know, if he cared enough to take care of my biggest problem, man, he'll sure take care of all the rest. Listen, your God is madly and passionately in love with you. You need to walk out those doors knowing that this morning.